who call me Tim. The lights go down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. You are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz, along with Mike Mott, and I tell you, we're just emotionally overcome to be back with you again tonight. It is. It's been an interesting few weeks, one thing after another, but yes, we are back, and uh, (laughs) we will not be stopped. We will not be silenced. (laughs) That's that's right. Yeah, well, we're, famous we're last the, words. Well, we're the ones who have actually taken back the night. So that's right. <laughs> so, it, Mike, kicking, how, how kicking and screaming? It, 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 it tried to get away, but we dug in. So that, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's it, and it has been, like you said, it's been an interesting uh, couple of weeks. Um, and I wanted to ask you now. Uh, we had talked about this before. But uh, you've just uh, you, you you have finally made your appearance on uh, now. How do you pronounce it? Is it Gaia Gaia uh, Television? Yeah, I was on uh, Gaia, and uh, the interview was released last week. It was actually recorded back in December, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of fun, and we we talked about uh, you know the uh, the topic of one of my books, you know, the Caverns, Cauldrons, and Concealed Creatures book, and uh, it was uh, it was very interesting, and, and I have you know, of course my my theories are always changing and growing and I'm, I probably will be working on a new one soon but uh, um, you know, it's in the third edition so we had a lot to talk about and, and uh, then they released a, a sort of a teaser clip on on Facebook and a partial clip at their website which is a, which was a little bit different and I don't have a subscription so I couldn't see it but I'll just say that someone who has a subscription let me see it so it did turn out well and, and uh, um, I was very pleased Okay, well, now, if uh, if somebody wants to get a uh, subscription, is there a website that uh, that they can go to and sign up? Or Yeah, I'd have to look it up. But, uh, yeah, it's actually at uh, Gaia.com, www.gaia.com, and they can find it there. It's on Open Minds TV or Open Minds. It was the name of the program with uh, Regina Meredith as the host. Mm-hmm. She was very gracious and really an excellent uh, um, person to talk to, very conversational, very intelligent, and it was just a really good show. So um, if you get a chance to check it out, it's Open, it's open Minds, Folklore versus the Reality of Inner Earth Beings with Michael Mott. Of course, we'd look at the, you know, the whole contention being that most of these mysteries people are fascinated by are actually, you know, they originate right here at home, and they always have. So, um, and we look at a lot of hard evidence to that effect. So it was fun. All right, fantastic. Well, and uh, it uh, it appears like that uh, the 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 reaction has been positive, you know, for the, for uh, the for most the, part. For the most part, <laughs> for the most part, yeah. You know me. I mean, I, I'm pretty low key. I don't go out and look for trouble, but yeah. I mean, they they put it on their Facebook page, and and 
it got a lot of positive reaction, and then some troll got on there, and it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with him because he was a total idiot. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting, and uh, probably the most, actually, the most activity they've had on their Facebook page ever. <laughs> really? Yeah, he 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 kept it going for like four or five days, and people were coming from all over to, you know, to show what an idiot he was, and, and uh, he he even this this is a guy who even uh, got caught. Uh, creating a f- after he had been made to look so stupid, he created a fake review on Amazon and put it up and got caught, and then admitted that he did it, and then eventually took it down. So he's just you know there's people like that out there. I think what it is 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 there are people who, and they often claim to be skeptics or, or scientifically minded, but what really is going on is they're scared. They they can't deal with the the fact that other people are contemplating things that are totally outside of their worldview that frighten them things you know I, with a person like this guy I would suspect he's probably scared of the dark seriously he, he's yeah. probably scared to go bump in the night you know and so when you start giving reality to certain aspects of, 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 of things he, people like that get scared and so they lash out they want to silence it you know regardless of where it comes from and see this guy had no facts to back up anything he said he had not read the book and so he made a bunch of statements that had nothing to do with the book he you know he would get stuff and distort what the book said and what it what was meant you know and he, because he was looking at the like the free kindle preview and picking and you know cherry picking stuff he could use so he really made a fool of himself but it was fun but okay now i i i guess i suppose my question would be to what purpose you know, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, had this guy even heard of you? I mean, do you no, think you know? Before no, he never this, heard. Of, no, he had never heard of me before. He made some assumptive, uh, presumptive, and assumptive statement that mm. I was supporting Michael Tellinger. Excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. And I don't even know anything about Michael Tellinger, really. I mean, he he just was out. He was out on a vendetta. He was on a mission. So, huh. Yeah, and it's like I said, you know. Once, once again, I mean, I just don't, I don't understand the mentality of of somebody like that. I mean, you know, why, well, was, yeah, why they would go through all this, you know, you know. It's an ego thing too. I mean, there's just to be some sort of psychopathic, sociopathic thing going on because he claimed to be a scholar. He claimed to teach college courses mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And you can find around the web where he had. He had actually created like two or three paragraphs talking about the Israelites and the Great Flood only being the flood of the River Euphrates and all this kind of really stupid crap. And he had pasted those same paragraphs all over the Internet in different places over like three years, three or four years, pretending like he was a scholar and an expert. And it, one of the guys that was there dealing with him, you know, I don't have time for that. A lot of people that were readers and fans were, were dealing with him. And... He basically turned out to be a, a guy who sells used cars or something, or a sales manager or something at a Toyota dealership in Auburn, California. So you know. <laughs> All right. It's, 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 it's just, you know. I don't know. I guess you know. I guess because you know, I'm I'm the type of guy that if you know if I don't have anything nice to say about somebody, I don't say anything at all. I mean, I don't go around you know like trolling other people's uh, sites or Facebook accounts or you know trashing other people's books. And so when somebody but, else does that, it's just kind of an alien concept to me. Well, it tells you some. It tells you a lot about their personality, and you know about their. They've got 
some sort of insecurity issues, you know. I mean, this guy... <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> he had been trolling that, that whole pet, their whole Facebook page. I mean, every time they put up a video or a, 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 a news story or something, he would get on there and say, blithering idiots, you're all retarded, and stuff like that, you know. And just jibber-jabber, jibber-jabber, and he said something to me, and I said something back. <laughs> that, that's all it took. He absolutely lost it. He's never had anybody actually, you know, make him look like the fool that he is before. So... It was uh, it was interesting. Mm, yeah, you know? Well, that well, so you know, I all I have to say is you know to to our listeners is just just ignore people like that and uh, uh, you know if you can go and uh, and watch uh, uh, Mike's interview because you know it's uh, and uh, I don't have subscription either, Mike. Sorry, but uh, uh, I know that. Uh, you know, uh, what you have to say is always fascinating and that, uh, you know, anybody who, who will watch this, uh, this interview with you will be captivated. You know? Well, I appreciate it. It was yeah. a good interview. I, I, you know, it's the longest on film on-camera video I've ever done. I'm always kind of leery about doing that because I really don't care to think about it. But it was, it was fun. And uh, it, it turned out well, and so I was real pleased. So, fantastic! Yeah. All right. Well, I just uh, you know I have I have one more thing I want to talk about before uh, we we go to our break and uh, and bring our guest on. And I and I know that you have seen this, uh, but uh, what what do you think about the uh, the 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 reason the recent um, New and I'll put new in quotation marks because we've heard this story before. Uh, findings that uh, that yes, there is a planet X out there on the edge of the solar system. Oh yeah, that's new, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it know, seems it, like every couple of years, you know, a, a new group of scientists will come forward and say, "Hey, you know, we've discovered uh, a planet X." Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about it is that we've known about this object since the seventies. At least, yeah, at and, least, right? Yeah, and talked about it, and of course the ancients knew about it. And I put a blog post up at my blog. Uh, and people go to modamorphic dot com slash blog. That's m o t t i m o r p h i c dot com slash blog. There are several new uh, posts there, but one of them is about this uh, supposed discovery of Planet X, which is nothing new at all. And I, you know, I had my own run-in with a, a planetary science scientist back in uh, August of 1996 at a computer graphics convention, and you know, we talked about all kinds of stuff because Shoemaker Levy had recently crashed into Jupiter, and, and, and so we had a discussion about that. And I actually had a, a good friend of mine there as a witness, a, a, a guy named George Crawford. So we were there talking to this guy, and I talked to him about uh, the, you know, the possibility of there being ruins on Mars and everything else. And he was very amenable to discussion about all these things. And then finally, I said, uh, I said, well, what, what about Planet X? And I mean, it was like I threw cold water in his face. I mean, he, <laughs> he went from being Mr. Happy to just like a, a curtain fell, you know. And he says, uh, what about it? Like that. And I said, well, <laughs> so what do you think it is? And he said, well, if we knew that, we wouldn't call it Planet X now, would we? And he turned around and walked away. So that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> uh, well, I, I just... mean, it's obvious we don't talk about that, you know. So, you know, th- these guys that came out and said they found something new based on small objects, uh, per, you know, per- perturbations in, in the orbits of small objects in the outer solar system. Well, I'm sure that they are perturbed, but so what? I mean, the gas giants on the outer solar system have been disturbed by the same object. Right. And they're much, you know, that's, that's a much larger gravitational pull 
obviously. And they've been, you know, that's been seen since at least 1982 or 1983 that, that you know, something was affecting the orbits of Neptune and, 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 uh, and Uranus. And I guess I say Uranus. I don't say Uranus because that's not correct. <laughs> Even so, I'll go with the anus myself. But yeah, yeah, but anyway, it, something was disturbing their orbits in a major way. And so, I mean, the fact that these guys now come out and say, oh, we know, we think, look, something's out there. Well, no kidding, you know. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad there's more evidence for it, but really, you have to ask yourself, why now? Why now make such a big public spectacle of it unless there's some sort of uh, concern involving this object and they want to make sure that people can't later come back and say, why didn't you tell us it was there? Why didn't you tell us it was coming? You see what I'm saying? Right, because right. even in their computer models that they are now showing, they're showing in on a long elliptical orbit. They kind of slingshots around the sun um, and then goes way back out again, mm-hmm. which means it, which means it comes through the solar system. Which that's, if, the, yeah, that's well, the only way. Yeah, well, and, and which if that's the case, I mean, right now it's it's obviously on its its farthest track. You know, I mean, past. Or it's, or it's on its way back in. Well, and, but even if it is on its way in, I mean, it's still right on the perimeter where it can't be uh, right. spotted with, uh, uh, you know... Conventional. Uh, yeah, normal, te- normal telescopes. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's the case, I mean, it's still going to take, you know, probably a couple hundred to, what, maybe, you know... Maybe just a few decades. Who uh, knows? I mean, just I, I fast. That, thing, that thing would have to be hauling if it uh, yeah, if it came into yeah. the inner solar system in just a couple of decades. Right. Exactly. Well, think about this too. Uh, you know, if we're not talking about a um, a planet, of course they're saying a planet, but if we're talking about something like uh, a brown dwarf star that never fully ignited or something, right, right. you know, um, we're talking about something that's going to have its own magnetic field to an extreme extent we're going to have something that's it's going to cause upheaval even before it gets here it's going to affect solar weather in other words you know and so therefore it's going to affect you know all the tectonics and the weather of all the planets in the solar system so there are things associated with it well before it arrives if it's out there so you know it just seems strange to me that all of a sudden they're they're uh, they are tooting the horn about this thing when they could have been talking about it for the last 30 years. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not its not for want of trying from some of these scientists, you know, who, yeah. who have been saying all along, you know, that, yeah, there's there's at least one, if not several, you know, very large, probably gaseous giants or, or brown dwarves, like you said, at the outer edges of yeah. the solar system, and they've just immediately, you know, been, been knocked down, you know, by their so-called fellow associates. Or it comes out. It'll come out like in the Washington Post in 1984, mm-hmm. and it yeah. said it was there, you know, and then, boom, you never heard about it again. Yeah, you know? isn't that special? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's out there. It's nothing new. Uh, there may be some new data concerning it and show that it's there, but it's not like it's really a new discovery. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, uh, put an end to this segment because we have a 
great guest with us this evening. We have uh, Robin Bellamy, who uh, uh, right now, and uh, I shouldn't say right now, <laughs> she's been in Toronto for, for quite a while, but uh, Robin was uh, born in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and uh, as well as an interest in Mothman and uh, other crypto creatures, she uh, she's done uh, research, investigation on hauntings. She has uh, a book by the uh, name of uh, Haunt Cuisine, an eclectic collection of recipes and attendant ghost stories from North America. Uh, just uh, just an absolutely uh, a fantastic person, and I'm really happy that we have her with us this evening. So let's go ahead, Mike, and, uh, and, and go to our break here. And when we come back, we'll be talking with Robin Bellamy, here on the PSN Network, you're listening to The Outer Edge. We'll be Professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. 
you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Welcome back to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Tonight we are talking with Robin Bellamy, who is all the way up north in Toronto. Robin, how are you doing this evening? I'm quite well. How are you? Oh, we're great. And uh, just uh, really appreciate you taking the time to be with us uh, uh, tonight. And so... um, I just I, I want to get uh, get right into it. Uh, uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you? Uh, now uh, I, I see from your biography that uh, you were born in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, which uh, you know be, I, I guess that uh, that means a lot considering your interest in uh, in Mothman. So I mean, was that uh, was that what got you interested in the the whole paranormal field to begin with? Actually not. Um, I was born in Point Pleasant because there wasn't a hospital in Ravenswood. Ah. It tells you how small these little towns are. Oh, I know. Um, And I, you know, growing up in West Virginia, weirdness is the norm. So you don't really think of it as a special study or a science or anything like that. When I got to Toronto, I quite unexpectedly had a child and needed something to fill my time. So I was online looking at different websites, and there was a group up here that had a test. And if you were good enough at research, you could be in their their ghost hunting group. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty interesting. So I uh, got connected with them, and I, I was teaching them how to do historical research on properties and things like that. And I read about Mothman and went, wait a minute, I think I saw this thing. And that's how it all started. Wow. So so you saw it as a child? I did. I was I was quite young. I was about seven probably. So you wanna share that story with us? Oh, right off the top? Sure. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> you, you you mentioned it. We can't bury the lead now. That's right, that's right. There used to be only one way to go down the river to Point Pleasant and that was then called Route Two. And it runs parallel to the Ohio and between the road and the river. Uh, aside from you know, a cornfield or two, is the railroad tracks for the B&O Railroad. And 
I saw this thing standing by the railroad tracks. I thought it was a guy in a wetsuit, a scuba diver. Hmm. Uh, and you know, at seven, it didn't. I didn't stop to think why would he be there. You know, I just thought that's what it was. Uh, it was all black. It was a little bit shiny. Um, the head was not shaped like a human head, uh, and it just in my mind it was a, a scuba diver. Except hmm. it, it, the tanks were pointy, like you know, at seven right. you don't care about that stuff, right? Uh, and then I, I I was reading John Keel's description, and I thought, hmm, because it was right around this time. This was, oh, let's see, it would have been sixty eight or sixty nine, maybe seventy. Uh, when this happened, I'm giving my age away, aren't I? Oh, well. <laughs> but so, so this would have been after the uh, the Silver Bridge collapsed. Yes, yes. Okay. And this was in broad daylight. It was broad daylight, which apparently is fairly unusual. Yeah. And how tall would you say this thing was? Um, judging from perspective, I would say between seven and a half feet and eight feet. That's that's a big scuba diver. Yes. <laughs> but when you're seven, everybody's big. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I have since been back to that location, though, to get an idea of, you know, how actually tall this thing was. And, and based on the buildings behind it and the perspective I would have had in the car, I, my best guess is about seven and a half feet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, 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 and how far away from the car was it? Uh, I would say... You know how a sidewalk wide, um, probably four sidewalk widths. Mm, okay. It wasn't very far at all. It was, oh. you know, maybe, maybe fifteen feet. And nobody else in the car noticed it except you. Well, they won't talk about it. Ah. Well, that tells you they saw it then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> actually, most of the people in West Virginia, well, that part of West Virginia, didn't talk much about Mothman Mm-mm. after the bridge fell. Uh, it was such a traumatic event for everybody concerned that Mothman kind of got put on a shelf for a long, long time. Right. Uh, it's just been in the last 15 years or so that the locals have started accepting in- in- inquiries into what happened and and started telling their own stories. Well, it's right. you know to me it's absolutely amazing that the story got out in the first place. You know because I know I mean I grew up in a in a fairly rural community and you you did not talk to outsiders about stuff like that. Oh, especially in this kind of a town because it's very, very church related, very stern kind of town. People worked hard mm-hmm. and they, they didn't have vices, you know. Um, and, and of course they didn't have the internet. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, when you had somebody like, say, you know, John Keel come in, I mean, you know, here, here this guy from New York. And uh, it, I suppose it just goes to show you, you know, what kind of, uh, of uh, a reporter Keel was that that he was able to to get at least some of these people to eventually talk to him. And uh, I and I know from talking to other people who uh, uh, still currently live in the area or, or lived in the area that there there were a lot more activities going on than was ever reported. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and different kinds of things, not just Mothman's appearance, but other rather odd 
things that were happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, do you uh, can you tell us like you know maybe what you may have heard on some of the other odd things that was going well, on? Well, I know that there was a lot of UFO activity, but that's not necessarily odd because that area gets a lot of UFO activity anyway. Right. It always has. It probably always will. Um, but uh, there was also a lot of poltergeist activity, and this was fairly unusual in the normal household in Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. These were God-fearing folks. They didn't have stuff go flying around. Right. Uh, so when that started to happen, it kind of freaked everybody out. And if they started talking about it, that tells you it was bad. Right. And they didn't right away start talking about it. Right. Um, and, it and nobody really put it together with the Mothman stuff until much, much later. Uh, you would find that reports were happening of Mothman in the neighborhoods where this poltergeist activity was happening as well. Um, but what really, I think, started the, the serious discussion of Mothman was the fact that these kids that saw him did the right thing and went right to the sheriff's office. You know, right. they, they didn't call their best friend and said, yo, get a bottle, come out here. They said, you know, we're going we're gonna to see what this is, and they talked to the sheriff. Uh, and, and, of course, in a small town, everything that the sheriff does gets around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly gives it a, a better sense of credibility when the gossip comes from the sheriff's office than it does from teenagers. <laughs> right. Well, you know, once, once again, it kind of surprises me that, you know, these teenagers would go to the sheriff to, to make this report, considering that uh, uh, some of them were actually, you know, out there kind of uh, um, harassing. Make it out. Well, some of them were making out, but you know, some of the early uh, uh, earlier uh, people who who ran into this thing were actually out, uh, kind of uh, harassing the uh, those who were making out. Uh, yeah. har- harassing isn't the right isn't the correct word, but yeah, I mean, right. you know, you know, shining shining flashlights in the windows and going, hey, what are you doing there? <laughs> well, you have to remember too that after they saw this thing and they took off for home it followed them down the road at huge speeds i mean they were going 100 miles an hour down this windy river road and this thing was keeping up with it without flapping its wings um you also have to put it it you said it was shiny it was for me so did it look like it looked like rubber or plastic or metal um more like wet wet yeah more it wasn't it wasn't consistently shiny there were shiny spots and and it would change as it moved right um it's kind of like you know how a raven is very silky mm-hmm. right you know kind of like that only didn't have feathers so yeah i would have freaked out more if it had feathers than i did with it just standing there yeah um but yeah and, and remember too that culturally we were involved in vietnam and anything weird was suspect uh, they, we had just come out of the McCarthy era of communism, or anti-communism, I guess it would be. So, w- you know, as a culture, they were careful about anything odd of any magnitude that happened. And I think when something this important and this widespread hit Point Pleasant, you know, basically all hell broke loose. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now you just you just said something about your own uh, sighting of this thing. You uh, you said when it moved. Uh, how did it move? I mean, what what was it doing when you uh, uh, seen it? I mean, uh, it, it, was it just standing there by the side of the road, or was it trying to uh, get the heck out of there? No, it was standing there observing traffic. Uh, it would, it didn't turn its head. It turned its whole body from the waist. Huh. 
Right. And, and then I would come back and, you know, look at the next car and, you know. That's very really, interesting. That is. That's, 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 that's very interesting. I, I, nobody's ever asked me that before, by the way. Really? Yep. Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, it's uh, we've talked to other people who who grow up grew up in you know Point Pleasant and and you know that that area, and uh, it, it seems like that there was an awful lot of unusual stuff going on there at that time. I mean, not just, you know, the UFO activity and, and Mothman and other paranormal stuff, but there there seemed to have been some kind of government or, or military activity uh, going on as well. I, I know one person that we talked to said that uh, it there appeared to be like almost like uh, pilot schools that were uh, uh, taking place there, where like the uh, the best and the brightest from the schools were being um, uh, not not taken away, but uh, uh, brought in to to be evaluated. And they, and some of these people, uh, once they grew up, ended up, you know, say like in NASA or in in the intelligence services. So I mean, it it, it seems like. That uh, there was some special attention going on there. I mean, you know, were you aware of anything like that? I know that I heard sonic booms as a very, very young child, long before they say that the the, the they started happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I researched that, I discovered that Chuck Yeager was test flighting down the Ohio. Hmm. Uh, it, it was a a very unpopulated area by and large. So if he crashed it, they could contain it. Um, but he was coming out of right pat, I believe, and and just you know test lighting these things down the river to check how much they, how well they handle and that sort of thing. Um, and I think a lot of the weirdness can be attributed to those test planes. Um, they certainly didn't look like normal props, you know. Uh, there is also a uh, armory in Point Pleasant. Right, uh, and I'm sure there would have been lots of exercises going on around that. Uh, the the area where Mothman was first, well, was most popularly sighted, is now called TNT, but it was an area where they built ammunition for World War II. So you know, there was a huge military presence in sort of a corporate way. Uh, and lots and lots of secrets. People who lived there and worked at the plant were not allowed to talk about that. Uh, and there are lots of energy projects going on. They were building, you know, coal-fired plants and and several other things up and down the river. Um, so it was it was a very uh, secretive kind of place. People couldn't talk about what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now that uh, it, it's 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 unusual that you know you have all of these activities all taking place. You know, in the same area and at the at the same time, and uh, you know, a lot of people f- seem to think that after the Silver Bridge collapsed, then it was done; that everything just just went away. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, uh, but you know, the the actual truth of the matter is that it didn't go away, but the attention went away. Well, and I think right. that that's rightly so. When the bridge fell, they had other things to talk about. Well, there was a lot more to all that too. I mean, my own theories about that are pretty strange, probably. But you know, I, I pointed out in in uh, my Caverns book that uh, 
the Mothman form is roughly analogous to uh, to something that the Sumerians called the Utuku, which was a messenger from the underworld yes. that looked like that, and he would come, it would come, and gather the, the the meats of the sacrifice to take back to the gods of the underworld. Well, we're not sacrificing to the gods of the underworld anymore, so here we got this thing showing up, and it's apparently killing dogs, and seen flying off with a dead dog, and then it's seen on a bridge that collapses and a bunch of people die. You know, I mean, at the same time, all this military and MIB stuff's going on and UFO activity, which always seems to be the case. I mean, when you have uh, weirdness, when weirdness starts happening, all kinds of weirdness stops, starts happening, and there's usually some sort of military activity at the same time. Now, is that because the military is interested in what's going on, or is it just, just that other things are interested in what the military is doing? Who knows? But it just seems to be that it happens again and again. And, and you know, it's kind of like what Kill pointed out, with uh, you know Bigfoot sightings and UFOs, I mean you'll have uh, all of a sudden you'll have all these hairy humanoid or hominid or, or big hairy monster sightings, and at the same time that everybody's over here on one side of a county chasing after these things in the woods, on the other side of the county there's a UFO flap yep. that it largely goes unseen. So you know who knows what all is going on and and still goes on. So well one of the things that you mentioned about Mothman and the dead dog that's kind of a a composite story um the dead dog incident actually happened in Braxton County right uh, and had absolutely nothing to do with Mothman but the movie merged the two stories well kill talked about it too and and you know and and they did see it um apparently uh, i guess there had been a dead dog on the side of the road yes Yes, and then later they not just very shortly thereafter someone saw this thing flying with a dead dog, so that's actually the dead dog I was I was talking to uh-huh. talking about. But but yeah, I mean that's what I was referring to. But you know it, it seemed and there was somebody that said their dog uh, disappeared. And then what happened? At least one. Mm-hmm. At least one. Yeah. But again, you know, in the ancient world, animals and people were sacrificed to the various darker. Entities and and supposedly things like the Utuku were sent to gather up, actually physically gather up those those uh, sacrifices. So it's just very strange that this thing matches that form so well, and then it's associated, you know, at least in the local lore with with the TNT area and the bunkers that go underground and and, and so forth. So it's it's all very strange. Well, and then too, the whole bridge collapse involved people going into the water, which is yeah. very very close to being underground. Yeah, it's, it's it's related. It's a related thing, and and uh, you know, in fact, there were some types of human sacrifices. I'm sure you know that that involved throwing people into the water and into bogs and mm-hmm. things like that. So, well, in north of Point Pleasant, um, there are those who believe that there is an underground UFO base mm-hmm. uh, hmm. on the Ohio side. I think it's maybe just west of Marietta. I don't really remember because UFOs aren't my thing. Um, but yeah, they, they, there's a, a deep belief that there is a long-term UFO base where the UFOs actually go under the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's where they basically are, are, are coming from anyway. They've always come out of the earth and under the seas and, and so forth. And I think that this whole uh, idea that coming from far, far away is a smokescreen so that we won't look to where they're really coming from because basically they see us as a resource and they don't want us to figure out what they're doing. So. 
Well, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the and, and the Ohio River uh, for years has been a hotbed of UFO activity with, you know, a lot of people saying that they, you know, have seen strange objects, you know, coming and going out of the water there. Yep, that's right. Right. I mean, all the way from, you know, like, like you said, you know, West Virginia, you know, over here into uh, Indiana, you know, to, to Evansville and stuff, so. It's really a very, very old river as well. Um, the, the, is it Columbrian age, where those uh, ice sheets were going away? The Ohio was already exposed at that point. Um, so it's it's quite a bit older even than some of the now exposed places on the East Coast. Uh, and, and you have to wonder, because that's going to be a, a marker. You can see that from wherever. It would always be there. You could use it to plot your route. Um, and if it's been there for millions of years without much change, then certainly I would think that would be a good place to locate some kind of a central command. Hmm. Uh, right. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. No, so. <laughs> but uh, um, so, how old were you when uh, uh, when you moved from uh, uh, Point Pleasant? Well, I actually never lived in Point Pleasant. Well, I'm, I was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was I was in Ravenswood until I was five, and then we went to Parkersburg for a year and came back to Ravenswood. Mm, okay. And I was there until I was, oh gosh, fourteen, mm. and then then only up to Marietta. So I've been in the Ohio Valley most of my well. <laughs> now that I'm old, it's not really half my life, but. <laughs> All of my childhood was in the Ohio River Valley. Right, right. Well, I, I found it interesting that uh, um, you you mentioned that you, you basically grew up uh, in the library uh, studying uh, genealogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my wife is is uh, very big into into genealogy. And, and I, I tell you something, you cannot pick a better way to hone your researching skills absolutely than by getting into genealogy yeah one of the things that i do is i teach adults genealogy for the toronto district school board and part of that is teaching them how to use a computer and and once these seniors get a hold of a computer there's just no stopping them Um, because their 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 mind is already set to be logical for the most part Mm -hmm. because they're mature and as we mature we think more logically well you give them the tools to use that maturity with and look out these folks can research circles around me (laughs) it's it's just phenomenal and i think it fits with paranormal research very well because if you don't know the history of what you're looking at you can't possibly make any kind of, of theories well, you know, often these things follow generational lines anyway, all oh, types absolutely. of anomalous activity and, and, and events. You know, they, mm-hmm. they seem to follow family lines. So it definitely is something to to, uh, to look into and to keep in mind. <laughs> it, it happens with me. The the electronics around me tend to, you know, I can walk down the street and or street lights will go out. You know, huh. It's weird. It's just weird. Hmm. Maybe I'm an alien. <laughs> Maybe you're just uh you got a powerful electromagnetic field. Yeah, you know, don't even get me started. <laughs> I, I'm not a big proponent of EMF detectors. Oh, so, no. so do you set them off? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I have um, scoliosis. 
So yeah. I have 14 inches of steel in my spine. No. I'm like a walking lightning rod. Right. You gotta be careful. Yeah, well, it's well padded. <laughs> so you don't, you, you go, do you go out in, in thunderstorms? Sure, why not? <laughs> hey, if I can spend the night in Waverly Hills, I can go out in thunderstorms. Oh, go. Waverly Hills, huh? <laughs> well, uh, tell, tell us about that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, in, in my work as a professional paranormal researcher, I was contracted to take a group of um, journalists down to Waverly Hills previous to the show Celebrity Paranormal coming out. Right. And I was supposed to teach them how to do basic research and then let them explore this sanatorium. It was hands down the strangest, scariest place I have ever been in my life. And I'm not somebody who automatically believes things. I'm pretty much a show-me person. Right. Um, But we had the whole place to ourselves for the night. And I gave them about two hours of classroom instruction on, you know, what's real and what's not real and what to watch out for. And we went upstairs and we did the little ball thing to you roll it out and see if it comes back. And we made sure that it was a level field and all of that. Right. Then we got down to the third floor. We were standing in the hallway and saw this black shape. It, it was it was a like a really dense fog. And it was kind of like ball-shaped. And it was coming down the hallway towards us and actually went through us. And we turned and watched it go down the hall behind us. Hmm. It was the weirdest thing I have ever seen in my life. So how large was it? Oh, gosh. It was probably eight foot in diameter. Wow. So it yeah, it was huge. It, it, took the, it took the whole group in. I mean, it was, it was, it was huge. And, you know, that's that's not even half of what we saw down there. We saw uh, uh, the apparition of a, a doctor who I believe was the guy that built the place. Um, we we actually went into one of the rooms. There's a lot of graffiti in, in the area. And in one of the patient rooms, we had gone in there to sit down and, and talk about some things. And as we shown our, light, our flashlights around, we noticed that in the graffiti were the first names of everybody in our group. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we lost That's a couple of people after that. They went oh, running I down. Bet. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was but it was old graffiti. Yeah, oh yeah, it was old graffiti. It was, you know I didn't even know who know who these people were before I met them that day. So uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was really frightening. That that sounds almost like the ending of uh the, the movie The Shining. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're in there and you find an old uh, uh, picture of the patients. And, uh, <laughs> if you've ever been to Waverly Hills, it'll it. remind you of that place anyway. I, I have I have been to Waverly Hills uh, a couple of times, in fact, and uh, it always surprises me uh, with all of the attention that it has received, all the people that it, that has been there, that it's still fairly energetic. Well, I think that it it picks and chooses who who it wants to talk with. You know, uh, I I think that if it if it knows that it's got a tour full of kids or or people who aren't really looking to learn, I, I think it's less likely to, to show up. Um, but I had some of my best scientific evidence come out of that trip. We set up laser grid across one of the rooms uh, and. 
turned the camera on, and we all just kind of sat there and watched. And something walked through the laser grid. You could see the, the lasers bend, you know, as if it were hitting something. Hmm. Um, but you couldn't see it with your naked eye, and the camera didn't pick it up either. Uh, so we, we have the bending of the lights on the camera, but there's nothing to say what was causing it, uh, which has to mean that whatever we're dealing with has mass. You know, it, it wouldn't reflect the lasers if it didn't have some kind of mass. That's right. Um, well, even, even uh, you know, subparticulate matter, I mean, tiny, tiny, tiny particles, I guess you should say, have mass. Right, so, but there are so many people who believe that it's all very esoteric and very yeah, uh, yeah. intangible. Uh, right. And it, it was very comforting to me to find uh, a quantifiable... And, and quantifiable is the word. Yeah. Because there's probably something quantum going on there. So, very interesting. Did you experience any sort of assault or sounds or things like that? Um, we had some issues with electric, which was odd because there's no electricity in the building. Um, but there are exit signs that are battery operated, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we lost those often. They would go off and come back on. Uh, and, of course, the traditional, we get up there and our batteries don't work. I always thought that was just TV stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But I personally had put brand new batteries in everything before we went on this investigation. And we pulled up on that hill and got them out of the trunk of the car, and not a one of them worked. <laughs> it, wow, it, yeah, it was. Fortunately, I had packed extras, but gee, many Christmas, you know. Yeah, well, I can, I can, I can guarantee you, uh, Robin, that uh, that is not TV stuff uh, because I've had the exact same experience a number of years ago, uh, and I was using, uh, you know, professional camera equipment, albeit, you know old, at least now it's old, it was three-quarter inch uh, uh, television cameras, and I was uh, uh, loaded down with uh, every charged battery that I could bring with me, you know, these big uh, big old NICADs, and as soon as I got into this uh, one particular house, every one of them was dead. Now, see, that's the thing. It yeah, wasn't just crazy. the regular batteries, it was the NICADs, too. If it had been one or the other... You know, maybe there would be some kind of, why is my dog barking? Can you guys hear that? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's going crazy. <laughs> anyway. Okay, <not> really. <laughs> he's, he's, barking at, he's barking at my dog, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that must be it. <laughs> I mean, I, this dog never barks. Anyway, um, if it had been only the regular batteries that went dead, you know, maybe there's some kind of atmospheric something. Or if it had only been the NICADs that went dead. But this was every kind. And, and that, I thought that was odd. It, you know, it really is odd. And, I mean, uh, you know, people have put out all kinds of different theories, you know, that, uh, the, that the entities, whatever they are, are, you know, using the batteries to, you know, the, to uh, supplant their own energy to, you know... Uh, uh, you know, like uh, quantum fields of <laughs> various uh, in various conditions, uh, but really nobody has ever come up with anything even halfway satisfying to me mm-hmm. on on why this happens. Well, and there isn't much electricity that comes out of a battery without touching it. No. I well, mean, well, keep, keep in mind also that that areas that have um, running water over rocky ground or, or beneath the ground, which, of course, generates an electromagnetic field 
um, they have more there's, there's more paranormal activity in those areas. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some sort of connection to these these entities using localized ener- or local energy in order to uh, do certain things. So uh, um, that would seem to say that they don't really come from this state of being, but to be here and to manifest here and to affect the environment, they have to have an energy source. I, I would agree with that. I'm not sure how that transference occurs, but I would think that there would have to be some kind of non-chemical transference there. Yeah, something's going on. Well, yeah, because if, okay, under normal circumstances, when you use a battery, and uh, and I'm thinking in particular, you know, like, like the big camera batteries that, that I would use, um, they would get warm as you use them, and mm-hmm. as they ran out, and as they would run out of, uh, of 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 power, they they'd be fairly warm. But I know from my own experience, experience uh, uh, plural, that these batteries never shown any kind of indication that they were being used. They they remained at room temperature. Which always, yes. which always kind of, you know, I mean, it, it, it surprised me. So, obviously, then, whatever was drawing the power out of them was not doing it in a conventional way. Right. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it was done. <laughs> now, um, Robin, uh, you talked about you used, uh, uh, you know, like uh, the, the laser grid and, and, and some of these other, you know, instruments in your investigations. What is your opinion on uh, 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 using some of this technology in, in you know, uh, uh, ghost and haunting investigations? Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, naturally I'm going to have to you know, uh, use, you know, like some of these reality television shows because that's probably what most people are familiar with and seeing. But uh, some of the things that are being utilized under these conditions, I just kind of have to roll my eyes <laughs> when I see well, it. Well, and, and what right. bothers me is that people are using these things without understanding what they are primarily for. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's face it, EMF detectors were not made for ghost hunting. No. They were made to see if your microwave leaks. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, exactly. and unless unless the ghost is escaping out of your microwave, I'm really not sure that there's <laughs> some kind of you know point in this. And what happened was somebody somewhere um, correlated Mike Persinger's study on EMF and how it affects the brain with paranormal activity. I'd like to smack the person who put them together because <laughs> it has ruined this science. Uh, it takes an awful lot of EMF to make you have hallucinations mm-hmm. and right. our our ghost hunter friends who are you know primarily hobbyists and don't really take the time to learn about the machines is they just say okay well this is a detector well the only thing that it will detect is whether or not you're in, a, in an area that will give you hallucinations so you're basically just proving that ghosts don't exist if you have high emf that means that you're likely to be hallucinating the whole thing According to Persinger, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's very counterproductive. It's a money-making scheme. And, oh, you've got me wound up now. Oh, no. Okay. Go for it. And then, of course, they repackaged the basic EMF meter and called them, you know, G2s or 4Xs or whatever they call them. <laughs> and and they're, they're still just an EMF meter, guys. 
Um, I actually get a lot more success out of my stud finder um, because sound will travel along metal studs. Right. And when we're doing um, EVP research, I have to find you know the bones of the place to see if it's possible that sound is being picked up like an antenna through those studs. So, you know, use the equipment in the way that it was intended. Uh, you can right. use the equipment, certainly use the equipment. I mean, that's what it's there for. But make sure you understand how it works and what you're trying to discover. Thank you. That was that yeah. was very yeah. well put. <laughs> it was. Well, I, I get to I get to complain about that a lot, actually. <laughs> that and orbs. People love to get me started on orbs. Oh, okay. Let's get started on orbs. <laughs> uh, th- th- those are orbs are are definite proof of uh, of supernatural activity in a place, right? Orbs are definite proof that people are idiots. <laughs> Uh, the, the science behind orbs is that around 1974, uh, cameras became an all-in-one unit. The flash is, was on the camera mm-hmm. uh, with the cubes or whatever. And this caused the angle to be different between the lens and the flash. And that's what set off the lighting of the dust and all of that stuff around you. Mm-hmm. If you show me a picture taken before, say, 1970, that has orbs, I'll look at that picture. But if you show me one from 75, I'll be like, yeah, that's your dead grandma, and I'll move along. Because, <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. If orbs were real, if orbs were really, you know, something you could capture with a camera, why aren't they in the tintypes? Right. All right so, so you're saying, where are they not in, in older... Yeah. Technology. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you uh, uh, something that I've noticed. Digital cameras pick up orbs more than conventional cameras ever did. Oh, yeah. Well, have you looked at the have you looked at the, like, the angle between the lens and the flash? I think that it's more because you're dealing with a camera that is 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 oper- You're picking up digital data instead of right. just artifacts. Yep. Yeah, well, well, not just that. I, I'll put it to you this way. I have pictures of orbs. Okay. Okay. Some of them, some of them are dust specks. There's no, I mean, some of it's dust or pollen or whatever. But I've actually been in a location where I stood and hit the flash on my digital camera, and when the flash went off with my eyes and with other people there with their eyes, you could see orbs the size of baseballs. See, that's the difference. That if you can see it with your eye. Yes, and so I have pictures where I, in the same location where I took a picture, a series of pictures, boom, 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 just like that, that fast. And in one picture, there literally are orbs in that picture that look. I, I can't even describe to you the crowded conditions of these ob- of these objects and the size of these objects. It's unbelievable. And then, then you the have frame the chance. before that, the frame before that, they're not there. The frame after that, they're not there. If you have the chance, take the picture with both incandescent and LED flash. Um, yeah, you'll see that they'll show up in one and not the other. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. usually with the LED, you're able to see them with your naked eye, but not with the incandescent. So you know, there again, I think you're looking at energy that's that's just a little different. You know, there's yeah, there. Are, yeah, there are times that when when or, a lot of or pictures, you know, they they are just. You know, dust motes or or digital errors or something. But then there are times when you can actually, if you're in the right place, 
location and it's really dark and you take that flash everybody there will see these objects yes like yes. the flashback and that's not dust not when they're the size of grapefruits yeah you know? so you know well and there are other tests you know are they partially obscured are they you know different colors that sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah uh, sometimes but, they are and, and sometimes they have i just say this there are images inside the orbs the larger ones <laughs> pretty pretty hard to explain well, and and you have to also prove that that isn't some kind of a reflection or three dot syndrome or or, or, or pareidolia or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. It's pretty weird. It's pretty. My weird. my favorite submission from a, a person who wanted their photograph analyzed was this filmy shape that appeared in the in the camera, and I said, "Okay, tell me what you were. Tell me what the weather was like." And she said, well, it was fall. You know, It was an outside picture. And I said, okay, what were you doing? And she said, well, we were just standing there smoking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. And I've seen that many times, too, where we're taking pictures and somebody's cigarette smoke or something gets in the picture and, you know. Or even breath. I've, also, I've, even, seen, I've even seen, uh, t- taken a series of photos and watched is a very strangely shaped mass of what looks like a fog leaves and there's no wind blowing at all at all and this mass of fog shows up moves across an area uh goes to a tree gets in the leaves of the, the limbs of the tree shows up then moves on and you can actually get pictures of all this happening yep. and you can see it though yeah yeah, you can see it when the flash goes off mm-hmm. i see that that's the difference if you can see it at any point if you can see it with your eye yeah and not just the camera. I think that lends the, the validity to yeah. it. Yeah, but there's a lot of people that just get dust modes and think that oh, yeah. Uncle Uncle James ghost, you know. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I looked at a series of wedding pictures. This woman was sure her grandma had attended her wedding, even though she'd been dead for many years. And it was a lovely outdoor wedding in the height of spring with all of the pollen in full bloom. And, of course, grandma appeared right over her shoulder. <laughs> and that that would be you know in the the tiny little spot that the camera picked up, right? And I said, well, did did you feel her? Did you sense anything? Did anybody say anything? Oh no, we just know she was there because of this picture. <laughs> oh righty then. <laughs> no, Grandma may well, have been well, at your wedding, but that doesn't prove it. Well, it, it reminds me of a picture taken by someone that was making the rounds, I guess, about a year ago. Some woman standing outside. She may have been in a, down by a creek bank or something or in the creek or something. And it said the ghost of her dead daughter or something was, or maybe her boyfriend, I don't know, was standing behind her. You could see his shoulders and his face. And if you zoomed in on it, it was obviously the foliage <laughs> of, in, the, in, in the bushes behind her, you know, 30 feet away. Yep. Yep. And, you know, that, that, that happens a lot. And the ones that are taken at dusk that have the eyes coming out of the bushes, that if you zoom in, they're lightning bugs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> well, you know, I... I well, I, well, go, go ahead, go ahead sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead, Mike. I, I had somebody show me a picture today, a, a good researcher. He said, look, he said, somebody sent me these pictures. He said, I, w- I want to know what you think. And he sent me this picture of some guy who claimed that he had pictures of Bigfoot in the woods and that... Bigfoot was walking away, and not only was it walking away, but it was probably a female, and it was carrying what looked like a human skull or maybe a Bigfoot skull in one hand and all this kind of stuff. He said, it looks weird. I said, oh. he said I want to know what you think. So I get this thing, and I open it in Photoshop and you know, zoom in on it, and it's a tree with uh, snow all over the lower roots and the trunk. <laughs> 
and they got, the truck goes up and it turns at a sharp angle, so only part of it was in a lot of sunlight due to the angle, and that's the part that was supposedly the Bigfoot, okay? And then the skull is a is a root or something that's got snow on it, and it's obviously a tree, you know? So I drew around it in Photoshop, you know, with a, with a red pen, and I said, look, I said, this is a tree, <laughs> you know? But people people see what they want to see. And this guy had made up an elaborate story about how he was there and it was moving and he saw them moving and walking away. So he's a liar. You know? Because well, you can, he may not be an intentional liar. He's just trying to justify everything that he saw in the picture. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, you know, yeah, but still, you can't say, come back and say, yeah, I saw it walking away and then it walked over the hill and disappeared. I mean, <laughs> I mean, give me a break. And that, that, that doesn't do any any justice, or it doesn't help, you know, the genuine cases. Right. Like right. Well, you know, what I was going what I was going to say, Mike, is that uh, the the types of photographs that I have seen that seem to show something unexplainable. And, and and this is something that I have noticed with a lot of these, you know, supposedly, you know, like uh, ghost photographs, is there's the ones where you'll have somebody or or maybe a group of people, and then there will be a like a, a face or a figure that looks almost like they are standing so close behind somebody that they would be in front of them. You know you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, almost like peering around their shoulders or something like that. And I've seen a number of these. There's one in particular I'm thinking about. I think it was taken in uh, somewhere in Canada where this guy and his family, was. Uh, they were in a park, and uh, there was a figure... The the photograph of the guy, he was kind of in profile, and then just uh, to, like, behind him, and then, like, looking almost in the same direction as he was, was uh, uh, an older lady, but the difference is, is that uh, while he was um, sunlit, she was extremely dark. Uh, uh, like like she was in shadow, but there was no indication of any kind of you know uh, shadow like that. And that you know, I I I took it onto photo uh, Photoshop and enhanced it, and you could definitely tell. I mean, this this was an older lady, but you know, according to everybody there, there you know there there wasn't there wasn't anybody nearby. And you know, to me, those kinds of photographs are very intriguing because I see them repeated time and time again. But you know, nobody else seems to have made the observation that um, these types of photographs seem to show, uh, seem to be in the very same kind of conditions, you know, like I said, where the unknown figure is is extremely close to somebody else, or, you know, like uh, peering between the gap between two people, or, you know, between, I've seen, I, I saw one where it's like, you know, there was a, a face peering in between the legs of uh, a, a group of people, or there shouldn't be somebody. And, right. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I suppose that they could be artifacts of some kind or or, or something, but, uh, you know, out of all the photographs that I have seen, supposedly, you know, of, uh, you know, ghosts or, or what have you, it's those that intrigue me the most. Yeah, if, if yeah, there's no, yeah. if there's no way to 
rule them out quickly. I'm, I'm fascinated. We had a, an event in June of last year and happened to be in an old church that had been moved to a historical society location. And the, the, the folks in the tour group had gone in and we were now outside the church talking about the history. And somebody from a ghost group was taking pictures and caught a group of children in period clothing hmm. lined up in front of the side of the building as if they were getting their picture taken. Uh, it was it was completely unnerving because in the church we got a lot of EVP of children singing. And then outside the church there was this photograph. And I saw the entire series of photographs and I was there when they were taken. So I know that this, this woman was not, you know... Doing the Photoshop for the wrong reason, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and it, it completely floored me because I'm, you know, I've never been a big proponent of photography in this business, but once in a while something like that'll cross my desk, and it just thrills me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is that's I'd love to see that one. <laughs> and you, well, you, you have to wonder how much of that stuff also could be rec- recorded in the environment, things right. like that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, almost like genetic memory, right? Right. <laughs> Uh, I, I do believe that people have genetic memory. So why can't places? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, the, the, earth, the Earth has an electromagnetic field. It's actually a very strong electromagnetic field. It's so strong it creates the magnetosphere, which keeps all the daily radiation out. So, you know, the Earth is kind of like a big hard drive. And so, you know, if we are electromagnetic creatures to some extent in terms of our, our minds and our intellect, then we could be leaving a trace of everything we do, every event, every thought, every action. And after we're gone... It's all still on the hard drive, which would kind of tie in with, you know, what uh, 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 what Jesus said about every hidden thing will be made known, mm-hmm. or what or what uh, the uh, the New Agers call the Akashic record. Yep, um, everything is there. It's just a matter of figuring out how to access it. So, kind of a, an interesting thought, anyway, and that would explain a lot of things like uh, um, clairvoyance, yes. because people could be tapping into that field. Um, uh, people that think they're reincarnated may actually be picking up the very similar to their own brainwave patterns and recorded memories of someone who's already been here. Yep. And they think it's them because their their brainwave activity is so similar. But actually, they're, it, it's the the record, you know, the the deleted files more or less left by someone who was here a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I have a friend so, who talks about how we all vibrate at a certain frequency. Uh, and, I, and I think that ties into what you're saying. If we're if our frequency is the same as some previous person's frequency, yes, then yes. we could pick it up, right? And, and it would seem like your memories, right? Because your brain would register it the same way. And and that also falls back to electric, the electric yes. um, power. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Earth is a giant electromagnet. That's what mm-hmm. it is. So Inter- interestingly, Point Pleasant sits in what's called the Rome Trough, and right. The, geologically, it has a much, much less electromagnetic pull than it should have. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, that is interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. It's almost like it could be creating a vortex area. Yep. Um, well, here, here's another thing to think about, too. We know that the, that the Earth, the, the Earth's electromagnetic field, it's cyclical. It gets mm-hmm. really, really strong and it slowly winds down. It finally reaches a point where it's just about not there. Then you have a pole, a magnetic pole reversal, not a physical pole reversal, but a magnetic pole reversal. When it comes back, it's about a hundred times stronger, mm-hmm. and then it goes through the whole process again. And it, it's done this 
thousands and thousands of times. Well, we're now at a really, really low point in that in in the strength of the field. And, and some, people, some people think we're going to have a magnetic pole reversal. You know, scientists. Yeah, imminently. Yep. Well, well, supposedly when that happens, you could be talking about things being very different afterward. Mm-hmm. When when the pole when, when the poles are reversed and the electromagnetic field is a hundred times stronger, ninety five percent stronger, whatever it is, or or ninety percent strong, ninety times stronger, I should say, you could be t- you could be looking at reality itself dif- uh, behaving differently. Our perception will be different. Um, our ability to sense things could be totally different when that happens. Well, and when you couple our, that with the releases from the sun, because we have a, a really high activity of uh, you know sunspots and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and when the two of those coming together is just yeah. unstoppable. I mean, well, that's just, what creates all our weather anyway. Yep. And it's, but here's the thing about it. I mean, you have people talk about how did the ancients do all these amazing things that they did? You know, uh, get these gigantic blocks of stone up into the mountainsides and the Andes and build these fortresses that we could not. There's no way we could do it today. You know, all these all these things that they did, and we can't figure out how they moved these these incredibly massive blocks. Well, it could be that at that time, the magnetic field of the Earth was much stronger. The electromagnetic field was much more powerful. And so the technology that existed then, or the ability to manipulate that field, could have been totally different than anything we understand right now. We might have been able to levitate things like that, you see. Like like the the difference between here and the moon. Right. Okay, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. Who knows? But, you know, the the downside to the electromagnetic field reversal, the pole reversal, is that for a few days when it happens, you're left without the magnetosphere. Yep. And that means incredible amounts of deadly radiation pour into the earth and will pretty much kill anything or, or, or you know, it, it'll burn life severely before it turns back on again and flips back, flip, flips before the, the switch is flipped and it the, the field restores itself, and this has happened over and over again. They can, you know, there's evidence that this has happened before. So, so if it happens, I hope we have some advance notice of it. So <laughs> we, so we have to stay inside with our blinds drawn. With that, I would that say, yeah, I would say. Uh, well, and sometimes that won't even be enough because if no. you have a leaky house, then you're going to right. get it anyway. <laughs> I'd say a metal roof is probably a good thing to have. Yeah. Um, hey, it just so happens. Tin foil hat. <laughs> yeah. Just so happens I have well, a metal roof. You know? <laughs> but you know, a, a lead raincoat might be good. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it comes with my aluminum foil hat. Well, yeah. think about the, the lead. Could you imagine a lead raincoat? How heavy that would be. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, it has happened. So you can look it up. Look up uh, magnetic magnetic pole reversal, and uh, when it happens, you know, all kinds of bad radiation gets in. But then the 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 the, uh, the, the the magnetic field is like much, much power, more powerful, up to a hundred times more powerful. So, and then of course it takes, you know, tens of thousands of years or even longer for it to come back down to about what we are right now. So, yeah. All I right, just well, wonder what all the digital data when that happens. Oh, it'll be, it'll go. Yeah, it'll it's be gone. gone. <laughs> it, it, it'll be gone. Yeah. It's like a reboot. And I, I wonder how many times in the past that we've reached a certain level of civilization and something like that has happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you look at today, after all the chaos, because it will be incredible chaos and loss of life and, and uh, rampage and hordes of, of people who can't take care of themselves but who prey on others. After all that's said and done, 
the survival the sur- the survivors will be those who know how to do the most basic things mm-hmm. and how to survive. You know, it's like in Dark Ages Europe or, or or the Old West or whatever. Those are the people who will survive and will be left to build. But see, we're all specialists. We're all we all specialize in one or two little things, and that's why it takes so long for civilizations to come back after some catastrophic event like that. And now that everything is so digital, I think we're, we pretty much be screwed. Yeah, we'll be back. Yeah, we'll be right back to the Stone Age for a while. Especially so. when our generation is gone, because you know we still know how to can and bake and mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. And you know, I can't imagine my grandkids, if I ever do have them, um, being able to do that instinctively the way that I was taught to do. Well, think about it. I mean, we played outside. Yep. Yeah, we spent oh, most yeah. of our time outside. I mean, everything was different then, and I think it's also regional. You know, people in. In areas of, of for instance, North America, where they're, they're, they do interact more with the, the outside environment, and they do hunt and fish and grow gardens and stuff like that, those people will probably be okay. Yeah. But th- those inner cities, you can pretty much forget about it. And th- there's a very good uh, book out there. It's called One Second After. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a novel about what happens immediately after. Immediately, and then and then going forward, months and months, and then a couple of years after a major EMP event, and it really paints an accurate picture showing what would happen in a society like ours. You know, if all of a sudden there was no electricity, there were no electronics, there was no refrigeration. You know, and and, and you know, I, I think it's a very good book that people should read so that they can have some idea because it could happen any time. That could happen by virtue of a coronal mass ejection. That's right. You know, that could wipe out. Well, we had a little touch of that a couple, a few years ago when the, the yeah. power grid went out. Yeah, uh, exactly. People freaked out. They didn't know what to do. And that was nothing compared to, the, to an event that happened about 150 years ago. Yep. Maybe there's another one like 200 something years ago. You know where they, they had, there was one during the, the old West era that was so strong that the, all the telegraph wires out west burst into flames. So if something like that happened again, that would be a major reboot event. Oh, and guarantee yeah. it's going to happen, though. That's just it. Oh, yeah. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. And we're due. You know, they talk about the Grand Canyon um, being ready to, is it the Grand, no, Yellowstone, being ready to erupt because it, you know, it hasn't been so long. Uh, and, and I think that it's, a lot of things have been very calm for a long time. Yeah, they have been. That's going to change. Well, when you look at, um, there, there's a, there's a, there's a seamount building off the coast of Oregon, about 300 miles out, and it's it's a volcanic mass and it's bulging severely. And very close to that, uh, about 230 miles from shore, there's a subduction zone there where uh, uh, several plates meet: the North American plate, uh, the the Juan de Fuca plate, and the Pacific plate. Oh, great! And, and yeah, a week ago, um, the, uh, the sea level. A buoy in that area recorded a sea level drop of 300 feet or something within like 20 minutes. Boom, a bunch of water disappeared. The buoy wow. dropped and then all of a sudden it rebounded and came back. When that happened, uh, FEMA and a bunch of, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the U.S. Geological Survey and a bunch of other people said, hey, this is preliminary to a very serious event. It, it, they think that they're expect, what they're expecting is a massive earthquake event in that area which will generate a tsunami anywhere from 60 to 100 feet high that's going to hit Oregon and Washington State. Wow. 
and they also said that it does happen periodically. The last time it happened, happened was in 1700. 1700, a, a wave uh, reached 10 miles inland. Wow. But there weren't many people there then. Yeah. And and that they expect it to cause uh, volcanic eruptions in the Cascade Range. You know, things like that happen. We've been lucky, like you said, that, that it hasn't happened so far. If something like that happened, they, they ex- okay, when it happened then, it generated an even more powerful tidal wave that raced across the Pacific and is recorded and well remembered in Japan. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, you can find uh, woodblock prints and stuff to show it of this gigantic tidal wave that hit Japan, the worst in their history at that time. So, these events happen, and here's the question. You know, if something like that happens, and the west coast of the United States is devastated, the west coast of Canada is devastated by this event, then you could be looking at something that could, that could be powerful enough, a 9.2 or 10-point earthquake or something. Would that be enough to set off Yellowstone? Oh, absolutely. You know, who knows? Who knows? And, and of course, then would that event in turn... Could that trigger the New Madrid fault? You know, who knows what could happen? Because well, especially they, since they we've been happen. weakening New Madrid with our fracking. And a lot of other stuff, too, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the last time the New Madrid went in 1812, I think it was, or yes. 1812, 1813, it, the, you know, the Mississippi River ran backwards for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, that's a serious event. And if that happened today, you know, think the Ferguson riots were bad. I mean, that whole area would be gone. But first, everybody be out there with their cell phones taking pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, think about it. You're talking about an event. The, the last time that happened, church bells in Boston rang. Yep. So that tells you something. What would happen to all these you know, skyscrapers and, and cities built on uh, um, um, river deltas and things like that? It, w- it would not be good. <laughs> well, with that pleasant thought, uh, I, think, uh, I think it's time for us to uh, take a little break here. <laughs> Sounds good. And, I, and 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 since I lived uh, since I live here in the excluded uh, middle, not uh, uh, not not that far away from the uh, new Madrid Vault. Um, during this break, I think I'm going to go and reinforce my house a little bit. Huh? <laughs> so when we come back, we will continue our conversation with uh, Robin Bellamy. And so I'm Tim Swartz. You are listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Stay tuned. We've got more coming up. Anymore 
I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Only in the forest can you see this. But nothing beats the moment you see that. Cool! That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. We're rewarding you for something you already do. Listening to us. It's radio loyalty, and it's an easy way for you to get free stuff. All you do is sign up. Go ahead and click the banner now. You'll earn points as you listen. Points you can trade in for great products and services in the radio loyalty store. You can earn even more points when you share your favorite station with friends on Facebook and Twitter. Radio loyalty. It's free to sign up, so click the banner to join now. Welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm Michael Mott here with Tim Schwartz and our very special guest, Robin Bellamy. Uh, during the break, I was just telling them about a news story I just saw where an Alabama city is destroying an ancient Indian mound to use the dirt to f- as fill for a new Sam's Club. And this is some 1,500-year-old mound of the Woodland and Mississippian culture. Uh, looks like it's really, really big. And these people are going to dig it up and use the, I guess, the dirt mixed with remains, because there are going to be remains in there whether they know it or not, and they're going to make a parking lot out of it. Mm-hmm. So, 
you have to wonder, have these people not seen the movie Poltergeist? <laughs> uh, that, was, that, that wasn't the first thought in my mind, but yeah, you're right. It would be karma. It would be karma. They, they, if they do something like that to a sacred mound, then they deserve whatever they get. Yeah. Well, you know, what, what gets me about the whole thing is people think nothing about digging up Indian mounds. But what would they do if you went and dug up the local graveyard? Well, they do that too, actually. But you know what I mean. I mean, if you did it for fun, let's go see what's in here. Let's see what they were wearing a couple hundred years ago. You know, here in I Toronto, mean, there's a major intersection um, that was outside of town when the, when the city was started, uh, and the Pauper's Field was there. They all of the you know indigent graves were there. Well, as the city expanded, they needed that area, so they dug everybody up and moved them. Uh, except that they didn't get them all. So when they put the subway system in and they were digging through under there, they kept coming up with bones and all sorts of things. And then the process discovered a mass grave from the, I don't know if it was typhoid or whatever epidemic it was. Uh, so, yeah, you, you have to be careful. Yeah. Well, apparently the pinhead, and I will say that, the pinhead mayor said in the defense of this this uh, this plan, what it's going to be is more prettier than it is today. <laughs> so this this, this basically Ooh. said that it's going to be more prettier, prettier to tear down this beautiful ancient structure and build a parking lot for a Sam's Club. Oh. Wow. Which will probably go under in five years anyway yeah. because the whole Walmart corporation is suffering. And because he cannot comprehend what he is doing, and he cannot comprehend the English language. So, no, no, no. He he knows perfectly well what he's doing, and he knows the uh, the the money that well, the has pay- been uh, yeah, yeah that has been paid into his pockets to have this. That's done. right. But culturally, you know, of course, I, maybe he just doesn't care. Obviously, so. Oh, well, no, you know. obviously not. You know, I mean, and, and the the, the, and the heck with, the heck with culture. You know, it's a parking lot. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Where's Joni Mitchell when you need her? Yes, I was just thinking that. Yeah. But but yeah, but thankfully you did not get to hear me try to sing that. <laughs> <laughs> Something we're all grateful for. That's right. <laughs> Oxford Mayor Leon Smith, whose campaign has financial connections to firms involved in the two point six million no bid project. Well, there's your smoking gun. Insist the mound is not man-made and was used only to send smoke signals. (laughs) 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 That tells you everything you need to know. And, of course, they haven't had any environmental impact or or natives come in and, and, you know, or archaeologists or anybody who knows what they're doing. Oh, Mm. man. You sure know how to get me wound up. Whew. Yeah, well, yeah, that's 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 a that's, that's a good one <laughs> to get lots of people wound up. Oh my God! Only to send smoke signals. Yeah, while they yeah. were having a powwow <laughs> <laughs> and making beads to use as money. Yeah, there you go. Wamp them. <laughs> well, I've already had my 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 beef with Sam's Club in the last few weeks. Anyway, I don't use Sam's Club. But apparently, the uh, the CEO of Sam's Club made some sort of statement in a, um, a meeting or something, or uh, to the effect that she goes out of her way to not hire white people, which to me is racism. So their stock took a huge plunge as a result of her saying this. I mean, considering the fact that what seventy percent of the population is Caucasian, it wasn't a real smart thing to say. So you know, Sam's Club, and now they're destroying a Native American site. 
Um, that's not good. I started to say, they're, boy, they're just hawking off everybody uh, <laughs> all over the place, aren't they? <laughs> well, I'm sure that somebody will find a way to blame it on Obama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you, Obama. <laughs> Uh, well, Robin, um, you know, and and sorry, uh, sorry Mike, I, I I I wanted to ask Robin this uh, question here about uh, um, going back to your uh, your own personal uh, um, investigations and experiences. I see where um, you actually had a, a, an interesting paranormal experience in uh, two thousand and five at the uh, was it the Lowell Hotel. Oh gosh, has it been that long? Holy cow! That's 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 uh, that's what it says. Uh, so, uh, do you want to do you want to tell us about that? I mean, that it's just absolutely fascinating to me. That is my favorite ghost story. I speak at the Mothman Festival um, every several every few years. I go down, and the Low Hotel is built right in the center of town, and the festival happens all around it. So I like to stay there when I'm speaking, uh, and we at this time had rented the room um, that had a it had a couple of bedrooms and a sitting area that faced the river it was a beautiful room and I was coming in late and, and walked into the sitting area and there was somebody standing there hmm. and you know I thought well okay the, the people that own the hotel are messing with me because you know? <laughs> he, he was dressed up like a riverboat captain and the festival was going on and I figured okay this is fun and games time so I said, what are you doing here? You know, most people would run screaming from their room, but not oh, yeah. me. I just wanted to know why he was in my room. <laughs> uh, and he was standing kind of behind a recliner looking out a window. And he said, well, I'm, I'm waiting for the boat. And I said, what boat is that? And he said, the one that will be here. And I said, when is it coming? And he said, it should be here at 9 o'clock. Well, it was already after 9 p.m., so it had to be 9 a.m. that he was talking about. Uh, and I said, well, who are you? And he said, my name is Captain Jim. And then I realized he didn't have any legs. Hmm. And in my infinite wisdom, decided I had to have a picture of that. And stepped back. I was still facing him and talking to him and trying to engage him into more conversation. Uh, and I was creeping back so I could slip out the door and get my camera, which was on the table right behind me. And I got back there and I turned and I grabbed the camera and I turned back and he was gone. Huh. And I was so mad. So I, I went downstairs <laughs> and the owner of the hotel was working the desk that night. And I'm telling her all of this stuff and she's not a big believer. Or at least she wasn't at that point. Hmm. Um, and there were several people from the festival who were also there. And we all just kind of you know, laughed it off, and I had a cup of coffee and went back upstairs. Because, you know, at the end of a long, hot day, right? Well, the next morning, tied to the amphitheater, it wasn't even a, a boat dock, it's an amphitheater, right outside my window was a ship. It was a, a big boat. Uh, and it was 9 o'clock. <laughs> So I said, you know, I gotta, I gotta look into this a little more. And there are some other ghosts at the Low Hotel, which are, you know, pretty amazing. Uh, and I had the opportunity to spend the night in the West Virginia archives and found pictures of riverboat captains. And there was one who looked exactly like what I saw. His name was James, mm. and he was the captain of a boat that was built by the same company that was owned by the guy that built the hotel initially. And he, he, it was just 
too many coincidences. Uh, so I did some research on the hotel itself and discovered that the area where we were staying was, in fact, where they would put the working people. If the boats got uh, frozen in on the river and couldn't move, they would pull the crew off and put them in this part of the hotel. Uh, so it was a, a logical thing for him to be there. Uh, and and it, it was just the most amazing experience, not only because of what I got to see, but because I was able to document who that was and you know why he would be there and, and the logic behind that, uh, as well as several of the other ghosts in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Well, now, with the, with the exception that later you you noticed that he didn't have any legs i mean did he appear did he appear solid uh, i mean he oh, absolutely. wasn't transparent or you know floating around or anything like that no nope. the idea that ghosts are transparent um, comes from the beginning of photography back in the age of spiritualism spiritualism grew because uh, there were people taking photographs and they at that point if you moved a little bit it would capture it on film because it was a very slow shutter speed mm-hmm. um, so the idea that there was a ghost around you and that it was somehow transparent grew out of those kinds of pictures uh, when in fact most ghosts you can't really even tell that they're ghosts uh, you you may have one sitting next to you on the train and never know it and when he talked to you I mean he he sounded like just a normal person there in the room yep, mm-hmm. yep. He, I thought he was a guy about 50 years old standing in my room hmm now, when you said he didn't have any legs, uh, did, you know, like the lower part of his body just gradually become transparent or just, you know, like from the uh, shirt down, there was nothing? Um, I would say shirt down, there was nothing. Wow. I don't, I don't remember any sense of there being like a, an ambiguous area. Um, yeah. I never, well, you guys ask good questions. <laughs> well, it just you know, it, it makes it makes me wonder if you know the level of the building at one time had changed, you know, or if I, he pa- or if he had passed away in that room, in that area. Yeah. Well, I don't think they're necessarily related. I think he was just he spent a lot of time in that room as a, as a riverboat captain, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. it was where he yeah. would naturally be. Yeah. But you know, I've I've heard a lot of uh, uh, you know, and I've talked to a number of other people you know who have basically reported the same thing that you know they'll see say like you know the torso and head and arms of somebody, but then the legs aren't there, or the legs will gradually become more transparent. You know, mm-hmm. you know, starting from the waist down till you know like the lower extremities are just you know completely gone. Well, I would think that would have to do with how much energy the entity could muster up, you know. I mean, if you're if you're not able to manifest your entire body, you leave the important stuff out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's you know it's interesting that you would say that you know this person appeared solid and uh, uh, indistinguishable from from a living person because I, I had an experience one time and this was in broad daylight um, where I was doing a, a, a photo shoot outside and happened to notice 
um, and this was at a you know like an uh, apartment complex, and happened to notice in the parking lot not too far away from me uh, this gentleman uh, walking towards the building, and I noticed him because he was rather eccentrically dressed. I mean, he had on say like uh, it, was, it was like a Hawaiian shirt with <laughs> with sh- he was wearing shorts, you know, like striped shorts. He had on a great big you know like sun hat, and he was carrying uh, uh, groceries and. and tennis shoes with black socks as well and plus he he walked rather oddly like you know like maybe he had you know like some kind of problems with his legs so i I looked out at my camera and did some adjustments and looked up and he was gone a few moments later i looked up and there he was coming back again retracing that very same uh, uh path going towards the apartment building. Same situation. I, I looked away, and I looked back, and he was gone. I talked later to the manager and, you know, made the comment about this person, and she was like, well, that's odd. You know, we had somebody who lived in that apartment building at one time that, you know, he, she said that, you know, he had, you know, um, um, problems and, you know, was not quite was not quite all there, but that a few years before, as he was coming back from the grocery store, he walked to the grocery store every day, he got hit by a car in front of the apartment building and killed. Wow. Yeah. But this guy, I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, he looked like a real person. He cast a shadow, you know. And, uh, now we have a, a similar guy here. We have a, a street called Bay Street, which is like the U.S. Wall Street. It's got all of the big banks and all that stuff. And there is a ghost that shows up between 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning, and then again between 4.30 and 5.30. And he's dressed in a suit and a long overcoat and a bowler, and he's got a briefcase, and he walks down the street to his job, and then he walks back from his job, but he has no feet. <laughs> and you, you you wouldn't notice him unless you were looking specifically for him because he just looks like he's another one of the business guys going to work. I wonder if anybody's ever attempted to uh, uh, talk to him like like you did with the, uh, the the boat captain. That I don't know. I don't have any reports of that. I have several reports of him being seen, but not anybody who said that they've interacted with him. Mm-hmm. Well, several of those, those repetition type uh, sightings. I I, th- I tend to think those are recordings in the environment. Yeah. And you know, um, it, it also seems to be contingent upon where you're standing. In other words, oh, yeah, you may yeah. see it, but somebody five feet away won't see it. Yes, yes, that is definitely the case with this Bay Street guy because you know I I at one time taught a course again for the Toronto District School Board on how to research ghosts, and several of my students went down. And just watch to see if they would see him. And they would, they were in pairs along both sides of the street. And some of them saw him and some of them didn't. All but at the same time. they did see him. They yes. did see yes. him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hmm. And what time of day would they see him? Like early in the morning and then late evening or late between, afternoon? Between 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning and then between 4.30 and 5.30 in the afternoon. Only Monday through Friday. Well, you hope it's somebody that's. Well, you hope it's just a recording in the environment because I'd hate to think about somebody trapped in that commute for eternity or to the day. Well, maybe he loved his job. You know, mm-hmm. for all for all we know, he actually goes up to his his old job and sits around the office all day. <laughs> Who knows? Probably be frustrating since nobody can hear what he has to say. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> uh, well, that's you know that's what a lot of people say that you know supposedly have the ability 
you know, to 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 talk with discarnate entities that a lot of them are frustrated because they can't, nobody will listen to them, they can't be heard, and they're, you know, they, they try to, to stay involved in their, say, like their family or their business, you know, the, their lives, and nobody pays any attention to them, and they can't understand mm-hmm. why. I had a friend actually, we were sitting in my living room talking, not here, but when I was in West Virginia, um, and and afterwards, you know, I walked through the door and she said, well, how come you didn't introduce me to that that person? Is she a family member? And I said, there's nobody here. (laughs) And and she described this woman to me, and it, it quite obviously was my aunt who had passed before I was born, um, but apparently she was standing behind me. I was sitting in the chair, and she was standing behind me. And my friend saw her over my shoulder. <laughs> and again, you know, you hear these same kind of stories, you know, repeated over and over and over again. You know, from people who have no knowledge of, you know, other ghostly experiences. So, I mean, you know, it's just, uh, it it always convinces me that, you know, there's something going on. I mean, you know, uh, people may ask me, you know, like whether or not I believe in ghosts. And it's like, well, you know, my belief has nothing to do with it. I think that there's something going on. What exactly that is, I don't know. But people definitely have genuine experiences. Well, it cracks me up, too, because the non-believers will say, I won't believe it till I see it for myself. And my reply, of course, is, well, how do you know you have it? <laughs> well, and I think a lot of uh, uh, disbelievers, even if the ghost came up and, you know, gave them a big, wet, sloppy kiss on the lips, they still wouldn't <laughs> believe it. Yeah, I, I, the name James Randy comes to mind. <laughs> Uh, don't get me started. <laughs> well, what about um, have you have you had any experience with um, um, EVPs? You know the uh, electronic voice uh, uh, phenomena. You know that's that's another one of those points that uh, uh, a lot of times you'll see. You know these amateur ghost hunters. They'll take their you know their little digital recorders out and uh, come back and, you know, they'll hear something on there and everyone is like, oh, did you hear that? And then pretty soon, you know, one person will make a suggestion of what they heard and then everybody hears that. I have a deep and abiding love for EVP. Okay. And I, was, I wasn't a believer for a long time. Um, but I have two colleagues who are very well versed in it. One is John Sable. And he is out of Pennsylvania. He's an archaeologist and a, and a ghost researcher. And he has a, a setup where he can talk into the recording and there's somebody who can hear it or something and, and he's able to actually converse. Like um, the person who's listening to the tape delay will relate to him what, what was said. And then John will again say, okay, well, what about that? And, you know, is your name John, for instance? And then six seconds later, somebody will say, that person said no. So, you know, it, it, really interesting way to interact. Uh, and then I have another friend, John Mitzi, who blows my mind on a regular basis with his EDP skills. He has created several different kinds of microphone situations, and the latest of which is one that records 
he's got the microphones around the top of a hat mm-hmm. so that it records 360 degrees and he somehow is able to use his mad math skills to find out where the sound comes from mm-hmm. uh, based on you know, the levels of each microphone and all of this stuff uh, I don't hear EVP I, I apparently attract it uh, because he has a lot of EVP that happens around me. Uh, I, I brought my work home with me a while back, and, and I now have something that lives in my house, and she's an old silent film star. And apparently she talks to me because we set up the, the recordings and stuff. So one time we did the experiment where I was wearing his microphone. At that time it was a horseshoe mic around my neck. And sitting quietly, actually in the room that I'm in now, and just asking questions and leaving time. To, to get the answers right send him the, the, the tape and he was just amazed um, apparently she was very clearly speaking and you know once you hear it it makes sense but at the time you don't hear it with your regular ear uh, so I <laughs> befriended her daughter on Facebook oh my gosh I, I know she had to think I was a nut bar <laughs> um, but she was very patient with me <laughs> uh, so I we developed a list of questions to ask whatever this is in my house, and then we could verify it with the daughter as to whether that was true or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the things we asked was, what is your favorite thing to drink? Now, this is a Hollywood star, so we're thinking gin and tonic or something like that. She said milk. Mm. And I thought, oh, here we go. So we asked her daughter, who had the same name, by the way, and she said, oh, mother just loved milk. And I thought, oh, that's just weird. (laughs) Um, But the daughter has since passed as well, and now I only have the granddaughter to talk to. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, see, see, that's the thing thing about, uh, um, about EVP, is that a lot of people think that EVP is... Like these, these, these barely heard, you know, snippets of uh, of uh, of words. When authentic EVPs can be entire conversations. Oh, absolutely! Right. And you should be able to hear it by only adjusting the volume. Yes. Yeah. Um, the whole the whole idea of white noise and that kind of stuff uh, that just gives you more to dig through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe that it attracts anything using anything. You're either a medium or you're not. And in the case where the microphone is the medium, you know you don't need all of those enhancements. Uh, and certainly anybody who does um, manipulation, you know, tweaks this and silences that, you know, you can't ever trust that evidence after that because it's been manipulated. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, there there was a gentleman in Italy uh, who's especially well known in the in the 1960s who had a uh, a shortwave radio setup, and he would go onto certain frequencies, and in fact, uh, sometimes he was told what frequencies to go onto, and he would pick up. Uh, um, EVP voices, and uh, a lot of times they would be uh, um, conversations with witnesses who were there in the room who would, you know, confirm that, yeah, this was, you know, like my grandfather or great aunt Sadie or, or somebody like that. And these were clearly heard um, voice transmissions, you know, and yep. not, not just, you know, little, little and tiny that's, words. And that's really the only kind of assisted, especially radio-assisted EVP that I, that I will investigate because 
typically, if you've got a radio around, you're going to pick up Skip from everywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the one exception being, again, at the Low Hotel, I had one of those um, old-fashioned tape recorders, old-fashioned for people who are, you know, not analog savvy. And we were packing up to leave, so this thing was just laying on the floor. There was nothing hooked to it. It was not plugged into anything, no batteries in it. We were packing to come home. And it started playing a FM religious channel. Hmm. Now, there's two things interesting about that. First of all, there was no radio in the tape player. And second of all, there was no FM religious channel anywhere in the, the mid-Ohio Valley at that point. <laughs> not to mention the fact that FM doesn't tend to cause skip as much as AM does. Oh, no. And, and it, it was just, it was quite unnerving. <laughs> FM is That's when my husband began believing. Uh, FM is line of sight. Right. That's, that yeah. is weird. <laughs> now, I mean, it's guaranteed that, you know, uh, uh, electronics like that, you know, uh, under certain conditions will pick up, you know, radio stations. Oh, sure. Like baby monitors and, you know, taxi cabs that are driving by and buses will come through sometimes. But there was absolutely no reason for this. I could find nothing. Hmm. Especially since the radio station didn't exist. That's especially yeah. That's especially weird. <laughs> we uh, we had on um, uh, our, our show not too long ago uh, Stephen Mara, who was uh, a part of a uh, poltergeist investigation in England in uh, the early 1990s, and one of the aspects of this was that there was a radio in the uh, um, uh, in one of the bedrooms that would periodically, uh, without being plugged in or have any batteries in it or anything like, like that, suddenly start uh, uh, transmitting voices. And yep. the, uh, the wife of the house said that it sounded almost like um, taxi, taxi cab transmissions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really weird. Uh, yeah, but um, it it would talk in uh, a voice that she said resembled her deceased husband, who was a taxicab driver, and would say personal things. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. And and in fact, Steve uh, uh, Steve himself uh, was witness to that uh, uh, one time uh, while they were in the bedroom. Him and a number of uh, people. The radio suddenly turned on without being plugged in and uh, he didn't exa- he didn't hear he couldn't tell what the voice was saying somebody closer by uh, uh, said uh, you know uh, they were able to you know hear it clearly but the voice uh, identified itself uh, by the first name of the deceased husband wow that's crazy well and then of course uh, you know Tess Dick you know Philip K Dick's uh, uh, ex-wife uh, you know, he he wrote about uh, a number of times where he said that uh, the the radio in their bedroom would come on in the middle of the night without being plugged in, mm-hmm. and uh, he said now he said that there would be voices that would tell him to commit suicide and things like that. Tessa said yeah. that she just heard music, but confirmed that the radio was not plugged in or have batteries. Wow! Well, just come on. Yep, that's right. Well, that's enough to make you a little nutty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while we're talking well, about poltergeists, I want to well, uh, um, ask everybody to please check out the website freetina.org, F-R-E-E-T-I-N-A.org. Uh, Tina Boyer, 
Christina Boyer is now incarcerated for a crime she didn't commit, and she was the subject of a major poltergeist investigation in the 80s in Columbus, Ohio. She was Tina Resch back then. Uh, and if you have done any work with poltergeists, you'll know that name. Uh, Dr. William Roll studies her extensively, uh, and and she's she's one of my my projects, I guess, is to try to get her some representation. So if you would please check out that website and learn about her situation. Well, you know, um, I actually, I was working at a television station in Dayton, Ohio, when that happened, and ah. was actually there in their house. At, <gasps> uh, really? At, at, yes, when, when all that was going on, and uh, met Tina and her parents, and uh, didn't witness any of the poltergeist activity, naturally. It wasn't uh, the next day, you know, that famous photograph of the yeah. te- the telephone going across her lap took place. Uh, but uh, but when we were there, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't see anything, you know, uh, unusual going on. So yeah, I'm uh, personally aware of her situation, and then basically how she got railroaded and sent yeah. into prison. So it's a sad case. You know. Well, uh, unfortunately, Robin, we are almost out of time. So uh, I want to give you a chance to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you online. Uh, you have a book uh, uh, on Amazon. Uh, you're working on another one. You want to uh, uh, tell us all about those things? Uh, I actually have two on Amazon. One is Haunt Cuisine, which is the cookbook that you talked about. Mm-hmm. The other is uh, Haunted Hospitality, which is all of the information on the ghosts of the Low Hotel. Um, and I think they're on sale for like you can get two of them for like ten bucks or something. Um, my website is tridit.net, T-R-I-E-D-I-T.net, and of course everybody's got Facebook, so they can find me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you working on anything uh, uh, currently that uh, you hope will uh, be published soon? Or I am working on the never-ending book called Xeno Forensics, <laughs> which is how to how to use forensic methodology to investigate the paranormal fingerprints and those things that you see on csi uh right. and, and the more i write the more i think of so it's become a little unwieldy and i'm going to have to rethink how i'm going to present it it may end up being a series rather than just one book oh that sounds like an excellent book and probably that something that good. yeah something that probably every paranormal investigator uh, uh, should read. <laughs> well, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, it's not hard to take fingerprints and to find out if somebody's moving that thing across the table. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we've enjoyed the conversation. You need to come back sometime. We need to anytime, guys. Dig a little deeper, I guess. And, you know, I'm sure you have a lot of other stories that uh, we didn't touch on here. So, oh, there's always something. <laughs> next, next, next time I come back, we'll talk about the ghost monkey. Oh, okay. oh my gosh! I wish I would have known about that beforehand. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll definitely we'll definitely have to have you back then at a, uh, at a later time, so you can tell us about the ghost monkey. So, thank you very much, Robin, for being oh, with us. Oh, thank you. I enjoyed it. Uh, we uh, we did as well, and uh, and I hope uh, I hope our audience enjoyed it as well. I know they did. So, uh, uh, Mike, thank you for uh, uh, coming. Uh, uh, and being on with us again tonight. Uh, hopefully, it sure, won't be, uh, hopefully it won't be another couple of weeks before <laughs> we're back on again. Hopefully not. But yeah. uh, you know, we, we we still hey, even our even our repeat shows are great. What can we say? That's right. That's right. So uh, thank you uh, for listening, everyone. 
I'm Tim Swartz. This has been The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Tune in next week, and I, I, I really hope that we will be here, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. So from all of us, good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.